How's it, everybody? I have a special podcast for you today. It's one of my good friends that I've met years ago on a job. His name is Barry. And listen to our conversation about great topics, mostly including the job and workplace and life in general. So I'm excited to give you our conversation with Barry and I. Hello, Baz. Um, I think you're muted. I meant to be muted. I'm saying regard regarded from the off the offset, man. Jeez, no swearing even from the start. <laughs> is this, is this a typical Zoom thing? Wait, has the podcast start already? I thought there'd be like a three, two, one, go type. No, thing. it has started. I usually like to do it ah. right beginning to get the genuine hello in there, you know, so it's not all fake, you know. <laughs> it's not so all fake, by the way. With- it started with me on mute, so could I can I not just like mute myself for the rest of it as well? Um, that would defeat the whole purpose of the podcast. Okay. <laughs> At least in this episode here. But I usually what like is to the purpose of this podcast, Jessica host. You know, some people have complained that I don't give them a list of um interview questions before they come on. It's because I've literally just written them right before this. There goes meeting. my first question on my piece of paper was what's the agenda and what are the questions you want me to answer? Yeah, you know, I always mean to do it, but I feel like it's just a lot more genuine going back to being authentic here. But the real answer is I've literally just like typed this quick list out right before this meeting. <laughs> but I usually like to start with how but we it's met. Still more prep. It's still more prep than I've done for this meeting. So this is true. Go. Okay. So I usually like to start each interview of like how we met and I'll tell my version of the story. And then you can tell your version of the story because I think we've always told each other this story and I've heard your version, but I think the people need to know. So how Baz and I met Barry, call him Baz, we actually worked together. We were coworkers and I got an interview for this job. We won't say what company it is. And it's in this beautiful building with just gorgeous views of Honolulu. And so I terribly chose the wrong seat of the conference room, which faces out the window. And I'm just like distracted by this amazing view of Honolulu Harbor. And there's these two guys sat across from me. And this is like after lunchtime. I don't know. It's probably like one or two o'clock. And they just like had the giggles. Like I thought I was seriously being punked. Like I thought this was like a fake ad for this job. And like I was trying to look like, are there hidden cameras? Like what? I've never been in this kind of interview before. And the other guy, we won't, again, we won't name names, but let's call him Brandon. <laughs> would ask questions I can't remember what the questions were and I'm being serious but they're just like it's like this some sort of inside joke between the two of you right and I just like was not getting it and you know I was young back then but the older me would like literally nip it in the butt and call it out and just like is something going on I didn't say anything though because you guys had just such the giggles and then I was like are they high or something like what kind of office am I walking into right now like I was just, I, the whole thing was just so surreal. I didn't believe it. I was just like, I don't even know if this job's real. I am just like, I don't know what's going on. The office looks kind of legit. I can't really see inside the office because this is a conference room, like right after the uh, reception. So you're not, not really going into the office. So I don't know. The one thing I got out of it was just a view. <laughs> it was like a nice day out. I got a great view. I guess I got a call or email not too long after and I got the job. So Baz, sit. We had like those low cubicles where you have zero privacy, (laughs) where they're just like six inches above the table. So Baz sat, you know, diagonally behind me and we spent two years as, you know, cubicle mate. That's how Baz and I met. And and we've been friends ever since. And I think that was like 2000. Like 10 years ago. Was it? Maybe. I'm trying to think what year I started with the state. And then that's, that's really like two years before that. And I want to say it was, dude, I don't know. I want to say it was 2012. So it had to be 2010 that it was around that time that, that, that we started. So you can tell your version of how we met. Yeah. Um, I've never been high in my life just to see how much of a square I am. So I wasn't high, but we definitely had the giggles. Um, What you didn't see because you were distracted by the view out of the building was the view over your shoulder was a glass 
right. window to wall. the reception it was a glass area. Wall. And yeah. there's a glass wall that led into the reception area where we mm -hmm. had no receptionist and was also the kind of coming and going area for members of staff. No, you did. You did bathroom. have a receptionist. I forgot her name. Oh, my gosh. We're friends well, on LinkedIn. They, they, they came and went as well or got promoted for being a receptionist. Oh, true. Anyway. Yes, that's right. That's right. Um, but what you didn't see was, let's say, what did you call the person next to me? Brandon? Yes. Brandon. So let's, let's just, just call say, him Brandon. Let's just call him Brandon. Uh, what you didn't see over your shoulder was another member of staff. Let's call him Rob. That would come over your shoulder and be making gestures and doing funny things and everything else to essentially get a rise out of Brandon and I. Now, I don't recall it being an afternoon or a morning or what have you, but yes, after lunch as well, often got a little lighter in the office and people did have the kind of the giggles after lunch. And um, sometimes I guess some of them may have, I don't know, had a beer, not, not I, um, that was after, after work. But uh, this may have also been like one of my first interviews that I took. And again, not disparaging the company or naming names of the company, but it wasn't the most professional outfit in the world. And I would have said that. What are you talking about? Were, you guys had to come in suits and ties. We did. We did. We were the only, the only office downtown that would uh, rock up in shirts and ties and suit jackets. Um, and Isn't that professional enough, Baz? <laughs> If, if it wasn't uh, an analogy for the entire company or a metaphor for the entire company of being uh, image over <laughs> style over substance, I should yeah. say, I, I, I can't think of anything else that would be. But uh, yeah, so the, the substance of the interview, I can't recall being uh, very detailed, but I, I do remember trying to be as professional as possible whilst, yes, you can see with newscasters, right? When they get the giggles, they're gone. Yeah. And I mean, let's just say, was it Brandon? I was one guy and what did we call the other guy? Rob. So yeah. let, let's just say Brandon, Rob and I are still very good friends and still have like a, a, a group chat that makes us giggle every day to this day. Um, we obviously don't work together anymore, but those kind of things uh, are, are lasting. And I think that's the, the biggest praise I can give for that job. Um, and you and I are obviously testament to it as well, that regardless of how... The job went, you met very good people that you stay in touch with and have, have lasting friendships with, um, maybe because it's the shared misery of the, the role, I don't know, or the shared experience of the role. I think that's not unique to this company. I think that's that's very common in many workplaces. But yes, that was, for all the interviews I then took for the rest of my, my time there and the people I did hire, I, I always felt I was very professional compared to that. Uh, low bar of course but um, yes I will never forget how unprofessional that felt sitting there and if if only you looked over your shoulder and caught what was going on behind you at some point you would have probably walked out so yeah um, well clearly I should have sat on the other side of the conference table I think and that probably would have gone better but well, know. the view of downtown Honolulu all the way down to Diamond Head was, was often the selling point. Um, and as you found out, there was a lot, nice office that looked all the way around to like Tripler Hospital and had a nice yep. 270 view, had a lot of empty chairs, but um, yep. had a very nice, nice view around there. And one of the only other things I ever remember being in that office, and I think you were at the office in the time now, now this is something for you to remember or not, was we felt an earthquake when we were in there. Do you remember this? I, I recall literally, so we're, we're what, 28 floors up? Yeah. And I remember feeling a rumble as if you, as if a lorry had gone past, right? As if mm. a truck had literally driven past the building, which when I was young, when I grew up in, in Scotland, the we lived in a cobbled street. And so when a car or a, a truck would, would rumble by, you essentially felt the building shake. Mm. Right? It was that kind of thing. So it wasn't, a, uh, or even my aunt was lived near a train. When a train would go by, you'd kind of feel the, the reverberations of that. So it felt like nothing at the time. And then it just kind of struck me as like, wait a minute, we're 28 floors up. Why is this building shaking? And I have this vision and maybe it's just the way I, I now remember it, seeing as it was 10 plus years ago and we're both getting very old, was <laughs> that uh, you kind of meerkatted up from your six inch cubicle of no <laughs> privacy, where you were normally hunched, I'm sure, doing either data entry, video editing or playing games, whichever one of the three was was on your list at that time. But you kind of meerkatted up and I have this, I, again, I've maybe made this up, but you literally looking at me 
and as if to ask, did you feel that? And it might be yeah. me asking you, did you right. feel that? And it was one of those things. And I think this was in the early days of Twitter as well. So I remember going straight onto Twitter or you probably introduced me to Twitter. I don't even know. You were our social guru at times. Um, or I would refer to you at times for that. And it was like straight onto the kind of, there was a minor earthquake uh, that was felt on Oahu. And that was one of two earthquakes I've ever felt. Um, but I recall that literally being um, in that office. Don't remember much else from there. It was so long ago. You know what made me survive that office time is, and I'll give his real name is Steven. Steven sat right across from me, right? And sat in front of you. And it was just you and Steven, I think, that had me survive this like toxic environment that I can't believe I even stayed like two years in, you know? So shout out to Steven. Steven. May he rest in paradise. My homie. We talk about football all the time. He was my my boy, man. We we spoke on the phone multiple times a day, especially when when the office closed down and everyone right. moved to the mainland. And he and I were left here or left in on Oahu, and and he he and I were, I managed him, and we we were entrusted with getting the job done. I was lit, I literally had to buy like a Bluetooth. This is before AirPods, right? Like a Bluetooth right. just to speak to him on the phone multiple times a day, every day of the week. Yeah, he was he was a good dude. And, uh, I'll never forget we're talking about job interviews I think he was the first person I hired and I'll never forget the end of the interview I had with him it was over the phone and his exact words were hey even I don't get the job <laughs> I want to meet up and have a beer because I think we'd be great friends that sounds and, like uh, Steven Steven's such so a big him. teddy bear he was a huge teddy bear he was yeah. just the best and he was like yeah, the older brother I don't have you know there's a lot to be said there as you say with just you know keeping each other sane through through those kind of environments and yeah he he very little phased him and he was such a friendly dude that uh yeah talking about giggling your way through a work day as well seriously was on was on point and we would just he would teach me a lot of stuff about hawaii because i'd i was obviously new to hawaii and only been there a few years if that and he'd, he'd obviously lived around the world being a military baby and but you know, obviously lived a long time in Hawaii at that point, and he could slip out of, in and out of Pigeon, like the best of them, you included, I'm <laughs> yeah. sure, Jess, but uh, yeah, it was, those were, those were good times, that just, between the three of us, just in that back corner in the back office, we, uh, we did, we laughed our way through a few days, for sure. Well, I feel like that's a great transition because talking about work and jobs, and I've had this like many a conversation with different people. And I think I even saw an article why it's like this large percent of why people stay in a job and why people leave a job is because of the other people there. I've stayed because of my coworkers. Like, I don't really care for the work, but like, I love my coworkers. I love coming into the office each day. Not particularly, definitely not this company, but you know what I mean? Like other jobs that I have. And that's what gets me to stay, right? And, but at the end of the day, it's like, we're here for work. And, you know, this is not the kind of work I want to do. I'm going to miss all of you guys. At the end of the day, we're, we're here for work. And, you know, whether it's career advancement or moving to something else, you know, everyone moves on eventually. And even in my very last office at the state, I, you know, the, the work was okay. And, but I just, we had this really family feeling in our office and I miss, I was like really genuinely going to miss my coworkers, you know? And I think to a degree it was the same at the company that the three of us were at, but this idea of, you know, you've stayed in this company and the last time we saw each other was like Christmas time. And then that's when you like landed the bombshell where you're just like, you finally left after how many years were you there, Baz? Uh, 14 plus. Okay. That's a little too much. That's like old timer kind of thing. You know, and 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 quickly on this thing where it's like, there's always this idea, the old timers was to have longevity in this company because you're going to retire with benefits. But I think that's sort of gone out the window when companies don't even have those kinds of big retirement packages anymore. And there's not really incentive for people to stay and have that longevity because nobody except really the state or the government offers pensions anymore. So there's no reason to like have your 25, 30 years of service because there's really nothing in it for you, you know, cause you can get 401k or whatever when you move on to other jobs and just roll it over. So um, to stay that long, I've, I've never had a job. The last, the last like real job I had was the longest I've ever stayed in a position, which is three and a half years. And I've, so I've never held a job, a position um, longer than three and a half years. I was at the state for seven and a half years, but it was split between two positions. So, um, you know, I, it, it, I feel like in that way, I, it seems like that's the norm 
for this sort of new class of workers. Um, and I think it started with millennials where they made it kind of okay to like jump ship. And I think they said before that your resume and it shows that you're bouncing between companies is a bad thing. But I think us millennials have sort of changed that structure of that when you're moving on, it's because you're moving on and you're moving up and and made it okay that like you don't have the 14 years experience of of one working place, you know? So with you finally taking the leap of leaving, and we talked about this is going back to, I guess the new topic of like happiness in a job, right? Like where is that line? Like how much is money worth it if you're unhappy in a workplace, right? And what makes you stay, what makes you leave? And I'm not saying you stayed because of the money per se, but like in general, when people work for the money, like I would think, it don't can only last so long and then it's just not worth it. Like we're talking about mental health and, and all these kind of things. And it's just like, fuck it. I don't give a fuck anymore about the money, you know, like my health physically and mentally is worth more than this. And perhaps I think the leap is you you can go and find a job with the similar amount of pay, but exponentially much more happiness in what you do. So walk me through that of staying. <laughs> that was like a really long question, but I was going to say, was that one question or about 12 questions? I think it was um, about 12 let, questions. So you go. So let me, yeah, let me cycle back a little bit. So obviously the, the, the job that we were in, we were kind of forced to either be remote or forced out of the job because they relocated. And so I actually ended up working remotely for of those 14 years, like close to 10 of them. And this is all pre COVID obviously and pre zoom and pre everybody else working from home or at least finding that balance so I very quickly loved that and really enjoyed that and enjoyed that balance and you, were, you, you mentioned in that long-winded question about uh, a work-life balance and everything else as well as enjoying what you do I never felt my job was a chore I actually liked what I, I did I wore many hats one day could be completely different from another um, I would be you know, in, in one discipline of my field versus another discipline in my field, all in one day, definitely all in one week. And that kind of dynamicness to dynamism, if you will, of the job meant that it kept challenging both sides of my brain. And it, it wasn't rush off your feet busy. I came from a newspaper before that. I had like three print deadlines a day. That was rush off your feet busy. But we were such a finely oiled team and it was such good people again, coming back to who you worked with and, and how, how important it is that the people that you work with, you either gel with or are, are like-minded enough to get the, the productivity and the efficiency out and you kind of, you gel in that regard. But um, yeah, what slowly and surely happened and I want to touch on as well, you mentioned like there's no reward, reward for loyalty these days, right? And us young millennials, Jess, you and I, we I think we're on that cusp of, going from a position of where you still think you should stay in a job longer than you should and kind of scoffing at people that just piggyback from job to job to job to job as stepping stones or for whatever reason, or it's like, oh, I got into trouble for coming back late from a coffee break, so I quit, mm -hmm. right? That just was not what we were really grown, uh, brought up with. But obviously I'm a foreigner and was at this job on a work visa and didn't really have any option to get another job so that kind of tied me down to this job but it worked for me and it very much gave me a lifestyle and gave me a work-life balance especially when I went remote and had to work mainland hours from Hawaii where that really worked for me and I think you started the start of your question was you know doing it for the money or doing it for the job satisfaction I definitely didn't do it for the money let me tell you um if I did then I was being stupid because I wasn't getting paid very much um, all things considered however the job satisfaction and the balance and the, the hours that I got to work with no commute and being able to finish around 1, 2 p.m. Uh, on a Hawaii afternoon and being able to go straight to the golf course after that and leaving the office, quote unquote, being my house and getting away from work and then coming back. I was able to really get a good balance and, a, and be disciplined enough to know when the work they started and ended and not necessarily to be where I felt near the end of my job that it became a 24-hour job. Um, depending on what time zone I was was on, um, you would end up never, never actually not being on call, especially to the higher ups. They would they would definitely kind of take advantage of that and take advantage of your efficiency because you'd have 
we need this by tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. And it just became so much and it snowballed into such a demand for, again, no reward, no no certainly no financial balance in that regard. And it's at that point, yeah, it did push me to my limit of, is this worth it? Um, contributing factors as well were obviously my, my family situation where I lost my mom and my dad's going through cancer. So when I added all those things up, and the, the way it was actually having a, a physical and visceral effect on my well-being, it felt like. And it sounds worse than it was, but I know how it felt like during it. Um, mm -hmm. I still gave like a lengthy notice to, to end that. I decided that was enough and um, didn't have anything lined up. It wasn't one of those things where, you know, you you're, it's easier to get a job from a job. That didn't matter. That it was just I had to end that part. Mm -hmm. And... It had run its course, certainly. There was no evolution in the position. I couldn't get any higher and I wasn't getting paid anymore. And there was never any indication that would be the case. So yeah, things changed and you know, turning a relatively big number as well in, in terms of age and such likes as, as you've just experienced yourself. I think it starts with a three. Um, <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> it, uh, yeah, my life was put into a new perspective in that regard as well. So. I ended up becoming self-employed um, or kind of self-employed or kind of freelancing. And really, I just didn't want to work anymore. And I don't think I'll ever retire in my life, um, but I certainly think there's more to life than working, especially your healthy years. Um, and, you know, working to the point that you can't enjoy those healthy years or enjoy the years where you're certainly more mobile and capable to do things. Totally. And I think we're, you know, you and I both don't have children, so that we have that freedom to travel and that freedom to be able to have a bit of disposable income to enjoy the world and, and, and enjoy the things that we want to do. And that became a much higher priority. And, you know, we, I don't want to touch COVID too much on, on this, but, you know, that whole time of being isolated on an island away from family and not getting to see family for, for several years. Um, and then obviously having to come to family at a, a time of, of, you know, much tragedy and, and having to go through that grief as well over the last few years, it really changed a lot of perspective and changed a lot of um, uh, how easy it was to make otherwise like big decisions mm -hmm. because there was, there was certainly a, a built in nihilism that came with it all where you're just like, you know what, it's not all about money. It's not all about owing thinking you owe something to somebody when you really don't because yeah. you know how good a worker you are and you know how good you've you've been and how you know there's no you've paid your dues and there's no way that you feel that um you owe anybody anything and I think that just comes with being a half decent person who's been educated and fortunate enough to have had a good upbringing um albeit humble that you have this idea that you have to do things the right way but there isn't a textbook to follow and there isn't especially in this day and age now as you were saying with how people do jump from job to job and there doesn't seem to be this career path of, of progression and loyalty and, and and everything else I think there's there's different ways to kind of attack things and you can definitely color outside the lines and I don't regret it one bit it, it was the best thing I've done truly and I've been able to kind of really enjoy this year so far even with one eye on my my finances going in the wrong direction mm, it's still mm -hmm. it's still I don't regret it one bit and it's certainly been the, the healthiest thing I've done yeah I think that was a long-winded <laughs> answer for the long-winded question no I think it was great and to touch upon some of the things that you were saying is this work-life balance right and it's funny because as you said you were already working from home when COVID happened like you were one of the first people I knew that got, that got to work from home and there was very little people that I knew for sure that were working from home and then everybody had to work from home with COVID. And it was kind of like, same old, same old for me, you know, like things didn't change. And in terms of like the, this work-life balance, and I think my sister and I were talking about this where it, it was, they could do so much at home, both at home and for work. Right. And it's those, it's those in-between moments that matter. And, and it's little things like, doing the laundry or like getting a target order shipped to your house because you're home and you're there. I'm not going to lie. People are doing this. It's a matter of fact that people are taking naps, right? But that's just easy, but it's more like taking your lunch break. You can take a nap. I couldn't do that at work. Cause where the fuck am I taking a nap? I don't know, you know, but I think 
for me, I'm definitely not that I work full time. I haven't worked full time for three years now, which is like mind blowing to me that I haven't worked full time in three years. But I understand my position and I'm grateful that I can wake up whenever the fuck I feel like waking up and I immediately exercise. Thus, my sport is spice wear, although I'm in this 24 seven if I'm not in pajamas. And then the first thing I do is work out. And then I just like do these meetings throughout the day. But other than that, I take my lunch whenever I want. And, and you know, I, I, I eat at home and I can, you know, take breaks whenever I want. I can take a nap whenever I want. And I could never, ever do those things in the office. And I think we've proven as a society, as a country that we're capable of doing it, even though more, more and more companies seem to be ever so slowly inching back to this back to normal thing where they're slowly getting their workers that and that's for the state I've talked to my old coworkers and like, oh, we have to work in the office four days a week now, you know, and it's unfortunate because I really thought we were evolutionizing the workplace. And I think in some sectors, we are. And specifically for Hawaii, it's like you can solve the traffic problem by allowing people to work from home, you know, and now that like the rush hour traffic has gone back to normal and it feels like even worse, that's just sad because you could have fixed this traffic problem by staggering or allowing this hybrid model of physically going to the office or if you need to go into office for whatever reason and otherwise you can work from home. For you, you've been doing this like you say, 10 out of the 14 years that you've been working there. And that's way before COVID and that your workday ends early enough that you can go play golf in the afternoon. I mean, that is the balance, isn't it? Is that, is that the dream there? And as you said, why you ultimately left is the position had run its course. And I feel like that was for me in my job and why I ultimately went to go get my master's degree. For me, it was like, what more can I do in my career? Like, is this just it? Is this just like the next 25 years and I'll just go collect my pension with the state? I don't think I was happy with that. And I think one time you even said, it's not about happiness. It's are you, the question is, are you fulfilled? And, you know, I think the answer for me obviously was no. And then now I've had this new track in my life of entering the education field. And it's just brought like this, this vigor into my life in terms of like having purpose like this renewed purpose. And now I have this goal of attaining, which is this PhD program. And it just gives me a reason to wake up everyone. It's just given this, this renewed life that I have and, you know, going back to work and now to me, like school and work are, are meshing into one thing because I'm going into the education space and I'm loving it, you know, and I'm unfortunate enough that I don't have to work full time that I can do school full-time and then fortunate enough to have part-time work and then to be able to pay for school. So I am definitely aware of my situation for it, you know, and um, to juxtapose this with other people's position of how they work. And I've had another podcast with my friend who's a freelancer. And I think you would consider yourself a freelancer now. Like, how would you compare that to, you know, being tied to the man, being tied to the ups and ups, I suppose the freedom or not? that it allows for you? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot there. And I think one of the reasons, obviously, that I can work from home is the job that I do, right? Or the reason I can freelance is the job that I do. So not every job was uh, compatible with work from home models. And that became very obvious very quickly. And not least, the key thing from work from home or the, the WFH acronym that's given for it all is the W part. Not, not in those three letters do I see N for a nap, right? And yet, as you've alluded to, that's what people did. And they slowly but surely, over the months and over the years, or weeks, months, years, whatever you would like to say, form their time, is they probably pushed the liberties that they took. And it wasn't a matter of just doing laundry. It's like, oh, I'm going to go out for a coffee, or I'm going to go to the gym, or I'm not even going to work. I'm just going to watch binge Netflix. And until and it was this quiet quitting almost at times or or what have <laughs> you. And that's the key thing. Whenever anyone would ask me, like, how do you do it? How do you work from homeless? Well, the first word is you work. Like that's what it really boils down to. And it becomes that self-discipline as well as that kind of conscientiousness of actually just doing the job and and being sat at a computer and not being caught out because you weren't obtainable or or couldn't pick up a phone or an email or a Zoom or whatever it is. It's like, oh, I tried to get into contact with you. And that's that was the, the downfall of a lot of people. And I think on a larger scale, too, I think that's why society 
has probably had to revert back to office work is because the majority of people aren't that disciplined and were taking advantage of the of the 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 role and the as a result couldn't be trusted it sure. just became it became um they essentially ruined it for themselves in many ways because yeah. how i was judged and again it comes down to what i did as a job as a graphic designer as a web designer as a coder as as a production artist and everything else like the job was kind of based on getting it done not are they at a seat and looking like they're working right yeah. i had tasks so they had to be done by certain times and if they weren't done it was very obvious when it wasn't and i think it, i think it was one of those things where if you did the job uh, it, and made it work, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to work from home. And I, I know many that have still done that, for example, in, in, in the various roles, which may or may not be state jobs or may or may not be roles where they ended up in, as a majority going back to the office. Um, but they were good enough working from home, proving that, you know, that meeting could have been an email and, you know, the distractions of when you are in an office and at a desk, you think, well, I'm at the office, so I'm working, even if all I'm doing is, you know, sitting on a computer, staring into space, the, the boss, quote unquote, thinks you're working, you know, the panopticon effect of somebody watching you is there. Whereas I was mercifully in many ways uh, tr given given some trust to get the job done and I got the job done and didn't betray that trust and was therefore able to stretch a job out that was maybe you know what a three to six month probationary role of working from home and we'll see how it goes to 10 years of working from home and being the 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 talisman of somebody in that company that worked from home so that when everybody was working from home they're coming to me asking how do you do it and right. that was always my answer is it's the work part work from home yes you're in the home try and find a balance absolutely but do the job and um coming back to another point you were kind of saying about fulfillment versus happiness within a job um I think a lot of people don't realize that they do only have one roll of this dice and that in, in this existence, like, why should you do something that just seems like you're a cog in the wheel, a wheel cog in the machine or what have you, and just, you know, go to school, leave, work for the man, as you say, and and then just, you know, retire at 60 and then what, enjoy your your gray-haired years with the quote-unquote money you were able to save over that. And I think a lot of people, if I can ever give advice from the other side of that to some degree, is if you were given like six months to live, would you, how much, how drastic would you change your day-to-day? -day? How different would you would you change your life? And if if the answer is you would change a lot, then you're not doing it right now. Mm -hmm. right or by right i mean correct you're not doing it correctly now you should be to some degree i get it you've got to pay bills you've got to make money you can't just up and quit sure you need to still and that's been a you know a challenge for me like i said earlier watching my finances go in the opposite direction now that even though i get the odd freelance gig it's not as much as i maybe was making before but right. the wealth mm -hmm. quote unquote wealth that i'm earning for being able to sleep in, being able to not have any stress, to be able mm -hmm. to, you know, go wherever I like at whatever time and, and enjoy golf during any hour of the day or a trip to see a friend in another city while I'm in Scotland. and All that kind of balance, even if in the last week I've been working almost every day for like 12 hours a day to try and get a project done, that pays for the better work-life balance or rather just the life that you now have and I often ask myself, like, if I had six months to live, if you were given this time, what would you do differently? There's not really too much I would do differently, right? I'm here to spend time with family. I'm I'm doing what I typically would like to do each day when I can. Yes, there's financial restrictions to what I want to do, but I maybe it's because I have a boring life as well. I don't know, but it's also one of those things that I'm not craving something unobtainable that I feel if I keep my nose to the grindstone and work for 20 years making this paltry sum with very little promotional or fulfilling goals, I will get there one day. It's like, well, no, get there quicker. Find different ways. You can always work harder. There's different more hours in the day on a different day or whatever, but don't put off, it's the classic cliches, of course, don't put off tomorrow what you can do today. I, I, you know, people often flip that and say, don't do today what you can do tomorrow. Sure. But I mean, for yourself, for that happiness, for that fulfillment, for, for 
you don't know it, right? Tomorrow's not guaranteed and all that. And you should definitely prioritize what you think is your <clears throat> your purpose or what you want to do with, with life and make that something that's central to everything you do and get there quicker by any means to some degree. But uh, don't you know, save all that money for retirement. You know, spend it 20 years earlier and make some more and then do something else with your retirement or go somewhere else. But go now mm-hmm. because you might not get there. Right. Think the world, as we well know, the world's changing and things, travel's getting a lot more expensive and stuff. And I just think there's, especially in America, and I've noticed this greatly in America from not obviously growing up there and going through the education system there, but like Americans don't get a lot of holidays, right? No. From their jobs. No. Nope. <laughs> and they don't, they're very much handcuffed to their job and almost felt like they are prisoners within the, within that system. And it's all controlling and everything else and not to get too geopolitical on things either. But European countries have a lot more respect for their employees um, <laughs> who themselves will still say that they don't think they're being respected, right? Look at the riots that go on constantly in France and other countries in, in Europe. But then look at the Scandinavian model, this places you've been. Look how these countries attack, approach that. And I think once you look outside the box and look for at the you know past the end of your own street you realize there's different ways to living your life um, yep. it's a it's a very much very much of an existential kind of answer to a, to a smaller kind of question but i think those things are very very key to keep assessing what you're doing and to feel if you're making the right decisions um yes the american way of like work hard play hard but they really just emphasize the work part like realistically for majority of Americans like we can't play hard we don't have time you don't really allow us to do it you know and I know that Europeans get far more vacation time was it Italy or France that gets like the most vacation time on average per France I think gets like three three months three to six months a year almost it's something crazy I I think uh, the UK gets like six to eight weeks typically crazy but like France yeah France is like pushing between that period of and they take like four hour lunch breaks right like we might we might be reinforcing stereotypes here but that very much is the 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 work-life balance there that maybe not a lot really gets done either but I don't know maybe the jobs are also set up to know that there's employees always on holiday at some point as well right I felt I felt that my last job when I worked in the UK was there was always somebody covering for somebody else. And that was part of the job just about was, well, they're on holiday for their two weeks. So they don't care, but they're not on call. We can't contact them. Mm-hmm. That's just the nature of the beast. And yep, you'll get yours next week when you're off, right? And you know, no one's going to necessarily contact you on your holiday. Whereas the previous job that of which we were speaking was even when you're on holiday, you had to almost keep one eye on email, right? And uh, it obviously behooved me to have email on my phone. So I started finding that even when I left the house, I was getting emails. Even when it was dark at night, I was getting emails. And obviously when the company became global, that's what I was saying, it was becoming a 24 hour job and the the demands were becoming outlandishly unfair. Um, and I was actually gonna and- touch upon that when you're talking about, when we're talking about like work from home in this COVID time, where the the other side of that argument about like working from home and like really doing the job and and then screwing yourself over or we as people to why companies make us come back to the office is because we don't trust us right that we're doing actual work during the work hours however I think one side of it is also that this stop time of work and start time of home time have just had this gray area and it just meshes between itself and the flip side of that is people are working at 7 p.m. when they were done done at work at 5 p.m. But this work from home balance kind of thing is this idea that managers know you're in front of your computer and like, I know you can do it. And, you know, can you get this done now? And it's like dinner time at home. And so it everyone wants their own side, right? Everyone wants all of their cake and eating it too, right? So like, yeah, they've taken advantage of working from home, doing laundry, taking naps, going out for coffee, and then still complain on the same breath that I got to work at 7pm, it's dinner time. And then and so there has to be this compromise, right? And, and which one is fair? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if anyone really knows. Yet. Managers would say that I'm letting you work from home. And that means working at 7 p.m. and getting something done before the open of quote unquote open of business the next morning. Whereas the worker would be like, 
I already did this and you know, it's my time, but it's like, it, it just, it's, it's just like folded together. It's meshed together now that it's like give and take. I was like, well, if you went out for coffee or, you know, went shopping out here during the office time, you know, where do you get that hours back working during dinner time, you know? And, and it's this weird thing because workers want all of it. Right. And like, they want to be able to go shop during the workday, but then, and still complain about working during dinner time. And so it's this weird, I mean, it could just also be an American thing where it's just all about me, 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 the younger millennials that have this idea of freelancing. When you're freelancing, you make your own hours, right? And all this kind of things. And I think regular paid full-time with benefits workers have that mindset now of, of this freelancer's life when that's not really the case. And it's all messy and it's never perfect that we've proven, I think, that we can work from home because we've done it during lockdown and COVID. But now there's all these perks that they want without any, you know, it's, it's give and take. And, you know, they want, they want to take everything and not give anything back. And I think that's maybe the biggest issue of why companies are being like, no, now you got to come back to the office, you know? And then suddenly they've gotten used to this lifestyle of working from home. And, and now they're like, ah. But it is, it's, it's all about give or take. And it's, it's such a central theme to just about everything in life. And I think you have to be able to step back and almost assess and evaluate what you're doing and why. And I often find like, if what you're doing is not either helping somebody else or improving your own time, or if it is just purely for the money that you need to pay a bill, why are you doing it in the first place? Like you have to, I think too many people like an easy way out or just like mm -hmm. to be told what to do and like routine and that's fine, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to judge by any stretch, but I also just feel empathy or, or future empathy for people that might not have that um enlightenment the, the enlightenment of that comes with comes with you know tragedy and death or or grieving or or just a different perspective in life that that can be thrown at you that really makes you realize like what the hell was i doing and why was i doing it for so long and for whom sure. it was it really for me and i think you can pin it all the way back down to the structuring of education which in itself ah. now has to be <laughs> so much in flux and I speak to someone who's going into <sighs> into education, obviously not just taking it, but going to be teaching it. God, our I, education I, I system is so you. broken. It's it's so broken. I I feel so sad, and and it, it it's, well, it's so dated. broken. It's purely and, and, dated, and it's dated for almost like a factory scenario. Yeah, and to make change, the, real change, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to even happen in ten years. I feel like that's just how broken it is, and we're already trying to tread water. Of what's going on right now how can we even think about innovating something but maybe innovating is the answer I don't know but it's just I thought I I really came into it thinking I as one person am going to make a small dent in it and I come in here and it's a fucking shit show and I'm just like oh my god I'm like I can't I can't you know everyone's just trying to survive and that's just that's just the sad reality of it you know and and the kids and move yeah, and I think I think that's again central to to a larger point you were making earlier as well. When folks were figuring out COVID and figuring out the work from home balance and workplaces were figuring out how much they could allow and give and take, is that I think you realize when you get to a certain age, everyone's making it up as they go along. Mm -hmm. And obviously, education systems. I've more obviously was educated in Scotland, and I have my critiques here, but seeing what it's like in the US and especially in Hawaii with how much it costs just to go to a quote unquote good school. And you're kind of like, why is there such a financial prerequisite to actually be educated? And it's such an old model of, and an old structure of how to be educated, especially with such an evolving world where the biggest skill these days is knowing what questions to type into Google. Um, yeah. And as opposed to memorizing your three times table it just doesn't matter. Everyone's got everything they need to know in the palm of their hand, just about. But what skills to what vocations are most important? And I look at the Scandinavian models that almost prioritize more of a an outdoor lifestyle and creativity and arts and things like that. Because if you were to have the 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 skill set or the passion to go into the sciences or whatever, it's available to you. But why mm -hmm. teach somebody the sciences if they're never going to use it? And identifying that in an early age, it's it's very risky and very very much unknowing. Like you tell me, what time did what what 
age were you when you knew what you wanted to do? I'm a little older than you and I still don't really know what I want to do, right? I've worked very hard to do a project for, for UH actually is what I'm working for right now. I've worked very hard this last week or two trying to do that. It's like, do I really want to do this? I might actually prefer just sitting on a lawnmower and cutting grass on a golf course because <laughs> I'm out, outside and outdoors and it's simple. And mm-hmm. because I've put in the hard yards and I've worked hard and I've been able to save money and I don't really care about when the next paycheck is coming and how much it is because I don't look at my bank account too closely. And I'm lucky to have, I'm very well aware of the privileges I've been afforded and been granted throughout my life but it also comes to a point that you know those decisions still come with consequences and is the stress of doing work and working all hours and sitting at a computer and hurting your neck and getting rsi in your arm and everything else because your bad posture and what have you versus just going out and you know quite literally smelling the roses sometimes um and remembering that there's more to life right and again i'm in a lucky position where i can almost make that decision and not have huge consequences and i think that's i have to be well aware of that before i start preaching that ideal but i think a lot of people do need to evaluate what they're doing and why they're doing it and if it is fulfilling to come back to that central tenet as well is is it really a fulfilling um thing that you're doing you're not going to change the world sure you're not going to you know strike poverty out of the 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 entire globe and there's always going to be inequality but you know what's that little thing that you are doing or what's the main focus of your life that that you do want to be either remembered for or thought of as as uh you know directing the the energy toward that's that's something that just i don't know maybe i'm just too in my own head with that stuff but yeah, I think that's that's important to how people approach what they choose to do for work as well as what they want to do with their life, I guess. You know, the last topic we'll hit on here is everyone knows this. I said in my other podcast, I turned 40 not too long ago. And as you say, oh, Bez, a four, not a yes, bitch, yes, I'm out of my 30s <laughs> now. <laughs> and And I'll put I'll put Baz on blast. He's just a year older than me. Okay. So no, like a it's year, three days like, less yeah, than a year. Just, just shy of a year. Yes. Our our birthdays are days apart. A year, no, um, you know, let's round up. There so are three there are three days when we are the same age, Jess. I'll never yeah. let you forget. <laughs> so I always thought about is I think about like I've turned 40, right? And it's like, is this midlife for me? Is it? And, and if it is, if I live till 80, I think that's a good number, honestly. So if I'm over the hill, if I'm cresting over the hill and I look back, um, climbing this hill, like, how did I feel about that? Do I feel like I've done what I set out to do when I was 20? When you're just like bright eyed and bush to I'm going to go conquer the world. And I think yes and no. I feel like I think I was a little slow to what I wanted. But as you just said, I didn't know what I wanted to declare my major until I was a junior in college. And then even when I went to the workforce, I was just like, I'll just take any job. I don't know, I'll just take whatever job. And I got into publishing, which wasn't on my radar, but that was just the job there. So looking back on my 40 years, the first 20, I don't count because you're a child. And so I look back at the last 20 and what I did, you know, uh, professionally and personally, like I feel like it's just ramped up in the last 10 years. Like I feel like, what I've done in my 30s was far more fun. And don't get me wrong, my 20s were really fun too, but those are different kinds of the 20s, Jessica, and in the 30s, Jessica. And so I look ahead. I'm not going to count the last 20 of my year from 68 because that's retirement age. And I'll think about that later. But what do I want for the next 20 and thus the next 40? You know what I mean? And just thinking about when I'm coming down the hill at 80, what what do I want to look back on on these last 40 years? You know, and because I can't change what happened in the last 40 or 20, I can change what's going to happen in the next 20 and 40. And what do I want that for myself? You know, and I feel like I've started that change by making this huge career pivot into education, which is so scary. And to me, such a risk, but no risk, no reward in a way. Right. And I'm still in it. Like, I don't have that reward yet. My reward right now and my goal, my my focus right now is that PhD, which is probably going to be three or four years down the line, depending on how fast or slow I work on my dissertation. So 
two-part question. How would you rate or comment on your last 20 years and what you've done? And how do you feel about that? And knowing that, what do you want for yourself in the next 20 to 40? Knowing all of these things that we just talked about and work-life balance and and then you, you know, talking about, I agree with you with this, this spending of money where it's like, save, 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 save. I could die tomorrow. And I don't want my grace to be like, well, she saved a lot of money for fucking who? The next generation, which is fine. I don't mind leaving my money to like my niece, my niece and nephews. But it's also like, how conservative do you want to be? It's just this gamble because you don't know when you're going to die. Right. And I re I'm just like arbitrarily just saying 80. 80, I feel like some people think is really young too, perhaps, but I don't know what it's going to be. So if I just say 80, like I'm okay with that. You know, I don't want to grow too old. What What do you see for yourself? I, I'm still trying to answer that question for me and, and try to hit some kind of goal of myself. Like I, I just know I want more for myself. And now that I've had this perspective of being at the top of this hill, if I am so in fact, the top of the hill of my life and now cresting downward, what do you want for yourself? I think that's as cliched and as cheesy as it is. Living as best you can with no regrets is a pretty solid way to go about things. And I, I think I very much subscribe to that. Um, there is absolutely no point being the richest person in the graveyard. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've learned that, obviously, um, in the last couple of years as well. And, <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm smiling and nodding along to a, lo- a lot of things that you say and you know, mobility is such a key thing. I've, I've, you know, blown out my back a couple of times in the last two years that um, being a, a steady golfer this year since February, I still wear a back brace to play golf. I can still break par and play golf in tournaments and play to a relatively high standard for an amateur, but I literally have to wear a back brace in case I end up on my knees again. And, or as the case was, fetal on the floor for three days. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. It was horrific. Mm-hmm. I say that, and since I've been home in Scotland here, I've been playing tournament golf, I've been playing a lot of golf, and now my elbow hurts, and I'm developing, like, tennis elbows, so you're buying, you know, the the, the <laughs> copper braces for your elbow. And This is 40. Being, yes, I recall looking at old people with knee braces and elbow braces and going, like, poof, gosh, look after yep. yourself, man. And before you know it, you are falling to bits, and you're taking... I'm not a medicine taker, but at Me times you're just taking a pre- preventative paracetamol just because the pain is too much. And mm-hmm. I would rather be on a golf course in slight pain and hurting myself to play something that is very important to my mental health and getting through each day than being curled up in a ball or stuck in a dark room staring at a screen. Sure. There's there's a lot to be said that I will take. You know, it's not having cake and eat it, but I will certainly take the the rough with the smooth as long as I'm still getting the smooth. And I mean, I've had relative sporting injuries for the last 20 years of my life and I've managed them. And the joke always is, well, if I can golf, then I'm not allowed to complain about the pain. But yeah, things (laughs) just keep failing you as you grow older. And And it's only going to get worse, right? I'm the same as you. Absolutely. It is not going to get better. And yeah, your body is just like, hold my beer, bitch. Yeah, you like are I'll never now. be like that. God, they're just so lazy and tired. Yeah. Like my mom is so lazy and tired. I'm like, oh my god, I'm my mother. Like you know, it's just like yes. fuck me. <laughs> well, I mean, you're you're just you're probably in the healthiest spot of your life as you are right now than you ever will. Be, I don't know about so. that. Everything kind of hurts. It's like you're like, <laughs> I, my wrist started hurting like a couple of days after yeah. my birthday. I'm like, what the fuck happened? I don't know. And it yeah. took two days to come. I still don't know what happened, but I bought like a wrist brace just Nothing. in case. You just wake up and you get. Again, so yes, I yes. literally, I literally own a wrist brace, a thumb brace, <laughs> a elbow brace. I don't have knee braces yet. Yeah. Even even though as marathoners that we are, I still don't have any issues with my knees necessarily. <laughs> I own two back braces, so I don't even have to travel with them. One in the UK, one in the US. <laughs> I've I've tried different things for my neck because my neck is constantly bust. Wow. My shoulder's been blown out for about two years. Um, that I was going to get an assessment for, but I, I just don't sleep on that side anymore. Uh, Crazy. Yeah, it, it doesn't get any better. But if you can still function and do what you want to do, you just have this tolerance that you just get on with it. So if I could, to answer your kind of question, your two-part question of my previous 20 years, would I do very much differently? Probably not. I do mm-hmm. kind of feel I don't really, really regret what I've done and what I chose to do and where I chose to do it. And again, coming from a small city in Scotland and getting to live 
the best part of my 20s and 30s in somewhere like Hawaii, that is an incredible thing to to be aware of and to be conscious of how lucky I am to have done that, even if it was to live and work is differently from getting to be there and enjoy it. But I find a way to enjoy it just as much as I could and never got, still to this day, I've never been tired of it and look forward to going back to it next month. I would definitely tell my younger self to look after myself better. And I mean that physically going on by what we're saying, stretch, I still don't, right? And I mm-hmm. should be. But it's one of those like, well, when I start, I have to be in a place where I can keep it going. Just start. Just do it. Yeah. Doing something half-assed is better than doing it not at all. Yep. So that's the kind of things. But I wouldn't change too much. I I, I, I had that balance pretty early and pretty correct, I think, um, for those 20 years. And, you know, I'm also a believer of euthanasia or whatever that my trip to switzerland might be in my 70s so that i don't have to go through all that stuff but uh later but yes if i'm on that downhill which is getting steeper and steeper it seems by the year if and when i'm not able to do things that said and i wanted to kind of bring this up when i was literally on on my butt on the ground not able to move because my back was spasmed with a slight bit of movement i could do you have no idea how quickly your perspectives change of what an achievement is mm-hmm. and being able to like walk from your bed to the bathroom and stand up and actually use the bathroom or to be able to look up and see yourself in a mirror because Mm. you've literally been staring at carpet for the last like 48 hours I I recall getting up to the couch and kind of being able to sit there and watch a Netflix show and and albeit not moved and surrounded by you know sweets candies and chocolates and waters or whatever just so I didn't have to move to get anything like tears coming down my face just of the achievement of being able to feel normal slightly again Mm. and the the thought of like I was literally on the ground I remember saying so I would chop off a couple of toes to be able to walk again or fingers to be able to stand up straight again that's how scary that felt and definitely gave a very quick jolt of reality again of the problems that you think you have are a lot smaller than you think they are even when they can be all-consuming and and again I don't belittle mental illness or mental health issues and I definitely don't belittle suicidal thoughts or depression or whatever like that like those are all shades of grief as well that I've experienced over the last couple of years and they're not easy and I have a greater Mm -hmm. appreciation I think that the best thing you can do is find people and talk about it Mm. because the more the more you keep it keep it in inside the more it festers and the more it grows get out talk to people who've gone through it I, I I'm a big believer of actually sharing a lot more now and not caring what people think because they don't know you right they don't they know a version of you but they don't know what's going on inside and I think people should remember that about everybody that you meet and, and mm-hmm. come across and just remember it's like the version that you see is still probably a facsimile or a or a, or a facade that they're putting up of a performance of sorts that we're so judgy like we've gotten we so are. fucking just judgy. Just be nicer to people. Just yeah. be nicer to people in general. Like just be patient with people and be nicer to people and just understand that they may be going through something that you can't fully appreciate or certainly not see. Um, I I've think had to do that a, a lot role. as a teacher and, and students. Oh, 100%. Like, I, I don't know what's going on at home and I can't judge and I can't penalize and all this kind of stuff, you know, but the but other part can is- a solution that you have be prescribed to one person work for another person. Right. right. And that that that's something you've got to be that I think I was a lot more ignorant to, which is like, oh, this works. So just do this. And it's like it, it's not even on the same planet sometimes like your wavelength of thinking completely evolves and changes that it's not logical or rational. Anymore. Well, I feel like our age or our business, perhaps it's always like you always come from your own perspective. I go, well, I do this. Why doesn't everybody else do this? Then when I became a teacher and I see these whole spectrum of different kinds of students I realized that my way isn't I I, I'll still won't fully understand but I have I see now that other people work in different ways or like are you know these kinds of people and and when I have my students journal and they say like I know I'm a procrastinator I don't know how to fix it this that because I'm not a procrastinator like I don't understand you know but it's really opened my eyes in terms of my way I'm not saying my way is always the right way it's just I just don't understand any other way but my way and it's slightly opened the door a little bit to understanding that other people have their own process and I just I think I knew that but I really felt it like okay I'm not gonna push you because 
I read in your journal about you need you have a process. I'm like, okay, you know what? You you need an extra day. That's that's fine. Thanks for letting me know. You know, and um, I don't know if that's like the same for you. Totally, totally. And don't get me wrong, I'm still stubborn <laughs> enough to be that version of myself too. Where it's like, you know what? I've gone through all that, and I still do it this way, and I still know it works. <laughs> so you should still be doing it that way, and it's yeah. not that difficult. Yeah, you just have <laughs> yeah. to have that. But that's that's also just how you know you and I are certainly wired that way. Like I am a bit of a procrastinator, but man, do I get the job done as well. Mm-hmm. But I, I I cut the grass and I'll do laundry and I'll clean the house before I actually sit down and do something. Um, but I get it done. And mm-hmm. I almost uh, even through the, the the degrees I studied, like I was still a last minute person. I was still doing things all pulling all nighters to get a coursework done because that's when I knew I worked the best. Right. For the next twenty years, I really don't know. Um, I think mm-hmm. I'm still, I mean, I'm 41 now and I'm still deciding whether I want kids or not. Like there's still that debate in my head of like, if I don't, what's the really, what's really my purpose of being here, but then that shouldn't also be my sole purpose because what if it's something that's not really what I want to do? Um, I've obviously gotten to this age without having kids for a reason as well. So I, I'm still kind of debating that and weighing that up in my head as to is that what my next 20, 25 years is about? Um, and would I be okay with that and changing that, you know, self selfishness in many ways where I have, haven't had to be responsible for anybody else necessarily and mm-hmm. being able to have that freedom of doing things. And if I don't, then what do I want to do with my time? Like, what is my goal? What is my 5, 10, 15, 20 year goal? What is it that I want to achieve? I'm not really caring about seeing much more of the planet. I've been lucky enough to see the world quite a bit. Um, I've actually enjoyed exploring my home country again, right? Mm-hmm. Actually seeing more of Scotland in itself because I didn't think I really got to go around here when I was younger. So there's that and it's keeping it a little closer to home in that regard. But yeah, I, I don't really know. I think I'm exploring what working for myself is here uh, mm-hmm. in the next you know year or two and seeing if that can work, even if it's not fiscally rewarding it's still rewarding in so many other ways and freedom being one of them and if Mm -hmm. I can get that to work and not be too panicky about oh where's the next job coming from and where's the next pay coming from and where's the next income coming from and not letting that bog me down too much and saying well you know what you work for the last 20 years to have savings so that you don't have to worry like Mm -hmm. I don't know how people work paycheck to paycheck I just do not know how Mm -hmm. Um, I have saved for 20 years and I'm worried when I'm $500 $500 less this month than I was this time last year or something sure. like that um, but then I'm stereotypically Scottish so I uh, I guess I'm pretty tight when it comes to money too but at the same point yeah no point being the richest person in the graveyard right you might yeah. as well if you've you've earned that money and you're putting off something that you want to do do that thing because something else might come along and you're like oh now I want to do that and I've done that before so now that's my new evolving goal yeah um I really don't know. I think I'm exploring this freelance stuff. I'm touch and go whether this is something I want to do really long term, or if I even still want to operate in this field and in this discipline. I, I do kind of enjoy it. It is something I'm relatively good at and can do it well. And I like solving problems for other people and being a help to other people for that. That does kind of give me kicks sometimes. Um, but I just, it's it's a very difficult one for me to see. I'm in this kind of limbo period of of life I think that yeah you are kind of as you say at the the zenith of the nadir I can never remember which one's the top but certainly at the crest of the hill and and looking looking down as opposed to looking up anymore and it's you know it's not a midlife crisis certainly not but it's certainly some it it gives you pause for thought or poise for thought to to generally think like what am I going to do over the next five to ten to fifteen to twenty and yeah um you know, well, you know, if if you don't have an answer, how do I go about finding that answer? And mm-hmm. I think it comes back to something I said earlier. It's like, you know what, I've kind of made it up as I've went along to this point, and I've been pretty lucky that being myself and being nice to others and generally just not <laughs> saying no to good opportunities if they do come your way, putting good energy out there, whatever juju you want to actually say, like sometimes the next option does just come around and you can explore it for a couple of years. And I never think that's time wasted if you're doing something new or you're learning, right? And I think that's the key thing for me is always try and learn, 
always whatever project I'm doing next, even if it, when in my previous job I was doing repetitive stuff, it's like, well, what's the little bit I did that I learned something new at doing? How did mm -hmm. I do it quicker? How did I do it differently? What new skill, what new bit of software did I learn? What can I use as a transferable skill to something else? And if you can find ways to make things new or, or refreshing or just innovate in some way or find a more efficient way to do things and evolve in that way um, and challenge yourself, right? I think that's, that's a solid enough uh, tenet for me to kind of follow um, for how I attack decisions for the next you know, 20 years, I guess. Yeah, this is a very teacher of thing to me to say, but it's like, it's okay if you like, you know, don't have anything in mind. Although I did think you were um, going to say something about turning semi-pro. I remember you saying that once. I was just like, I'm just going to work and then hopefully like join the, like the senior league and like go pro and I all always, kind of stuff. Yeah. You know? But then you I, talk about I, all your like fucking ailments. It, yeah, yeah, ailments. It's just like, bruh, I don't know if it's going to happen. Still might be a pipe it's dream, not. but you know what? <laughs> Dreams are what like keeps you it's going. Good to have unattainable goals too. Yeah. yeah, if it's something yeah. like even just competing at an, an older age, I still think I'll be young for my age. Believe it or not, despite the ailments that I've listed, it's still one of those that if I do get to that senior age, I still have to want to compete and I enjoy competing. And it's like yeah. you get nervous and it, it it really makes you understand your body and your mind a lot. The challenges those kind of skill sets and I've always been sporty and competitive and and everything else. But it's like you get into those situations into those competitive situations those pressure situations and it's uncomfortable you have to often be present of mind and remind yourself like i'm choosing to do this i mm -hmm. want to do this mm -hmm. i want to challenge myself and i that uncomfortableness if you're not put on the double back brace bitch <laughs> <laughs> yeah really i'm, Honest to I'm gonna fucking week, kill this play. drive yeah i literally played golf this week with an elbow brace and a back brace on for the first time in my life and i still won about 50 bucks right so it's yeah. like there's still ways to challenge yourself, even if it's not at that high unobtainable pro level that you thought you maybe had a had a bad go at. But I'm okay with that too, because I know, you know, you're learning every day, like I say, and you're challenging yourself every day. You know what you're capable of, and at your best, yeah, sure, maybe, right. But ultimately, you know, I think it's healthy to still have a goal. It's quite not obtainable. Um, it does kind of allow you to still have purpose of why you're doing something. Why am I practicing? Why am I trying this? Why I am I hurting myself say to that. try and get better? It right? gives you sense of purpose. It gives you a reason yeah. to wake up in the morning to just have those goals, whether you think it's unattainable or not. It's still some. It's still a north star to give you sense of purpose. Yeah. And again, it comes back to that fulfillment aspect too, right? It might not be fulfilling anything in the grand scheme of things, but it's fulfilling to me. And mm -hmm. that that is, again, kind of important in, in, some, in, in life, which has become a lot more nihilistic for me in the last several years. So yeah, personally, it's like, just I try not to worry too much. And I try to be grateful for what I have and what I'm good at and what I'm still able to achieve and do. And again, if I'm at least challenging both my brain and and my physicality and my my sportiness every every other day then that kind of keeps me going in many ways thanks Baz, so much for joining on my podcast you were supposed to be on here last year but then i don't know you probably got like sick or something and so it's been a year in the i haven't been finally... sick at all so i think you just <laughs> blanked it again you just kept rescheduling so it's fine it's fine it's it's i finally got you on here i was just like okay but yes, you were supposed to be on last year, but it didn't happen. So I'm glad it's in our 40s that we got to do this. How new perspective. And then we want to be able to talk about work and all this stuff. So I think it was just like meant to be that it was supposed to be this year that we we're supposed to record this. So I can't thank you enough for being on my podcast and sharing your I've thoughts. Immensely. Yeah, I've enjoyed it immensely. And thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Baz. Peace. See ya.